Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to Restoration Church Online. My name is Johnny. I'm the pastor here at Restoration Church, and we're so glad that you have joined us today. Uh, a couple of things before we continue on with the sermon and with the service. Uh, number one, uh, we have our regathering service on Sunday, October 18th at 10 o'clock in the morning at Sunset Heights Elementary School, uh, right off of 97th Avenue in Deer Valley. We cannot wait to regather. We're going to have some more updates uh, coming up before the 18th, so make sure you uh, stay tuned for some of those updates and more information about our regathering service. Also, Sunday, October 11th is our Dream Team service at 10 o'clock at Sunset Heights. So if you're part of the Dream Team, uh, you know, come um, uh, join us as we worship God together, rally the team back together, uh, and kick off um, our regathering service on the 18th. Uh, so 11th, Dream Team, 18th is our regathering service. I'm super excited about that. Also, we have small groups going on still. You can jump into a small group at any point during the semester. We really encourage you uh, to jump in and connect with people and do life together. Don't do life alone. Uh, we were created for community, uh, and especially Christian community. We were created to uh, be with one another uh, and grow together. So jump into a small group at any point. Uh, there's, there's a few to choose from, and you can see that online on our website. Um, so we're going to continue to uh, truck through and journey through uh, this uh, gospel, the gospel of Mark. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope you have been just kind of slowing down a bit and really uh, taking a look at those passages and the life of Christ and what that means for us. And today I want to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And I called the title, or I titled the message today, Jesus, the Friend of Sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, what we've seen is Jesus in his Galilean ministry. We've seen him uh, really display his authority. He has had authority over disease. He's had authority over demons. Uh, he has had authority even last week that we saw uh, to forgive sin when he when he uh, forgave the sins of the paralytic man. And then after that, he actually physically healed him. And so we have seen Jesus's uh, authority and, and power. Uh, last week, we also saw uh, Jesus get into conflict for the very first time with the religious leaders of the day. And today we're going to see that second conflict with the religious leaders of his day uh, as Jesus continues to build his team. We already saw Jesus um, you know, recruit four fishermen today. He's going to recruit another person on his team, and that's going to create some conflict, and it's going to create some uh, scandal with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. So let's read Mark chapter 2, verse, verses 13 through 17. It says this, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. 
And he, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was with that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, this morning asking you to speak to us, asking you to reveal um, uh, your word to us in a clear way, reveal the things that we can learn from this passage, from your word. Uh, your word instructs us, it guides us, it gives us wisdom, it helps, you, helps us know you better, it helps us follow you better. And we're so grateful for your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts today, in our minds. Help us understand the passage. Help us apply the passage to our lives. Uh, we don't want to be believers. We don't want to be people who simply just hear the word and not do the word. We want to be doers of your word. So empower us, God, by the power of your spirit this morning. Illuminate our hearts. Illuminate our minds that we can see clearly uh, what you want us to see in this passage today. Edify our hearts, edify our souls today with your word, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. When I gave my life to Christ, I was about 18 years old. I already graduated from high school. I was in, in college um, and I decided uh, to attend this college ministry, and I gave my, I gave my life to Christ. Uh, and really, uh, you know, God found me. God drew uh, myself to Him. God, God drew me to Himself, uh, and so I, I was saved. And, and at the age of eighteen years old, and so I did what what many uh, and most people do after they are saved. Uh, you see, here's what I did. I had these friends in high school, uh, and these guys I completely love. Uh, but, you know, uh, they were not the best influence uh, in my life. And the truth is, I was not the best influence in their life. Uh, I was one of the worst ones in my friend group. Uh, but what I did is I created this separation between uh, my friends from high school uh, and my new Christian friends. Because after I was saved, I started going to a college ministry at this church, and I found new friends. These Christian friends had uh, you know, the same beliefs and values, and they loved God, and they served God. And, and so I really started hanging out with them a lot more, and I really distanced myself from my high school buddies. Um, and I, I thought what I was doing was right. Uh, and maybe it was for a season at that point, uh, but it was a long time uh, that, I, that I really didn't hang out with them, that I really didn't spend much time with them. I missed a lot of memories with them. But I created this division. I kind of put myself on this little Christian island with my new Christian friends. Uh, and it was great. And, and I still talk to many of them today, and I have great relationships with them. Um, uh, but, but I remember this one time 
where I was hanging around with my Christian friends at a, at a restaurant, and it was about 12 of us, and we were just kind of hanging out, you know, uh, drinking water, uh, whatever, and, and then all of a sudden, I see one of my high school buddies come towards me, and uh, he had a, a beer in his hand, and he was walking a little funny, and he was just yelling my name, and I, I, I saw him, and he finally just kind of reached me and came to me, and he, he gave me a hug, and, and he started, like, just kissing on me, and, and we were just, you know, you know he, he, that's kind of how he was, and plus, like I said, he might have had a few or whatever, uh, but then, you know, we, we have that one friend who gets a little too rowdy, uh, and so this friend, uh, he just kind of started cussing and he even started cussing at me i mean he wasn't meaning it in, in a really he didn't have bad intentions but he started cussing at me and and just kind of making a scene and i remember seeing my my christian friends just kind of get a little weird you know kind of get a little awkward about what was going on and i really had two choices at that time i had two choices one i could really just embrace my friend, uh, who was a little crazy, uh, who was kind of cussing me out at that point. And I could just embrace him and be like, hey, man, I love you. I haven't seen you in a while. And I just talked to him or whatever. Or uh, I could have been really embarrassed by him because I was with my Christian friends. And so I could have just been a little embarrassed by him and, and maybe just kind of not talk to him or, hey, I'll talk to you later or whatever it was. Uh, and, and so I had those two options in front of me. Uh, and what did I decide to do? Well, I decided to embrace him. Uh, he was my friend. Uh, he, he was my friend. He still to this day is my friend. And I love that guy. I'll do anything for that guy. And I remember just hugging him and laughing with him and talking to him for a while. Uh, but I embraced him and I wasn't em embarrassed uh, of him. Uh, but you know what? That, that day really kind of just made me think of a few things. Man, I really miss my friends. Uh, and yeah, they're a little different than my Christian friends, but, but man, I, I miss them and I love them and, and I want to, you know, continue to, I want to start, you know, hanging back out with them. And, and it really took a few years for me to start hanging out with my friends. And it was about maybe three, actually three or four years ago, uh, when I started really hanging out with them a lot more. And I tell my, my wife very, very often, like one of the best decisions I've ever done in my life was to hang out with my high school friends again. Uh, man, they bring such joy to my life. They're good people, and I just love, love being around them. Uh, but that, that's what happens to a lot of us, right? Uh, when we become Christian, uh, we tend to seek people like us, right? When we become Christian, you know, we arrange our lives um, to be around uh, non-believers as little as possible. We attend Christian Bible studies. Uh, we, uh, we do recreational activities with Christians. We eat dinner with Christians. We have couples night with Christians, with Christian couples. We have Christian doctors. We have Christian dentists. We have Christian plumbers. Uh, we have uh, Christian uh, veterinarians. And even our dogs are Christians. Somehow, some way, we even get to have our dogs be Christians as well. Uh, but really, when we kind of put ourselves in this little Christian island, I really believe that we pass by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and daily opportunities to influence people for Christ. 
listen closely and listen to this. If we don't spend time with sinners, we can't reach sinners. If we don't spend time with sinners, we will never be able to reach sinners. Let me put it this way. To reach people who are far from God, it requires us to be near people who are far from God. Let me say that again. In order to reach people who are far from God, it's going to require us to be near people who are far from God. And you see, Jesus sets this, that example for our lives here in this passage. And what I want us to do in the goal for today is to just really look at how Jesus interacted with sinners. Again, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus hung out with the worst of sinners, as we will see today. And then we'll apply it at the end of the message, how that can really apply to our lives. Verse 13, Mark says this to us. He says, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Uh, So uh, previously before this, Jesus is at uh, Peter and Andrew's house, right? And, And he heals this paralytic man. He forgives his sin and the house is packed. And the house was so packed that uh, this dude's friend had to, friends, they had to make a a big old hole in the roof. And so there's a lot of people following Jesus. And it seems like people are continuing to try to get closer to Jesus and and try to get into Peter's house. And so Jesus says, hey, you know what? Uh, Let's go out by the sea. Uh, Let's kind of get a better venue so I can start teaching people as people continue to come. We need a bigger space. Uh, And so he gathered people out by the Sea of Galilee in the open air. And and Mark tells us that he, he was teaching them. Again, think about that. Jesus came in preaching and teaching. Now, what was he teaching and what was he preaching? We saw this in Mark, uh, the first chapter of Mark, verse 14 and 15. We get a glimpse of what he was most likely teaching. Uh, It says this, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is the hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, Jesus was teaching and preaching the good news of salvation, the gospel, that salvation has come through himself. He was preaching the kingdom of God. He was preaching repentance, and he was preaching faith in the gospel. And that's what he was doing by the Sea of Galilee with many, many people around. Verse 14 And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, it seems here that Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee. He was teaching. And after he was done, he was going back into town. And as he was going back into town, he uh, sees uh, or he encounters uh, or passes by this man named Levi. Now, Levi was a tax collector. How do we know that? Because the text tells us, Mark tells us that Levi was in a tax booth. Uh, And so really these these tax booths uh, were kind of like a toll booth. You know how you're you're traveling, you're driving, and and you kind of hit a toll booth uh, and you got to pay to to use the highway. It was very similar like that. Uh, But this toll booth that Levi was working at or owned really, uh, they would they would probably uh, most likely tax 
uh, fish that came out of the Sea of Galilee. It also taxed a lot of uh, imports and exports and goods that were kind of passing by. So uh, Ma- uh, so Levi was a tax uh, collector that, that really owned this booth. Uh, and so really, I want to take a few minutes because I really think this is extremely important um, ha- on, on how and explain to you how taxes worked uh, in first century Israel. So we know that Rome ruled the land of Palestine during this time, and they collected taxes from people through what is known as tax farming. It's very similar to restaurants, especially fast food restaurants that that franchise their restaurants. This is how it worked. Uh, So uh, the government would assess a certain area and then they would add a total fixed tax amount on that area. So, for example, let's just say that the uh, the, the the government would would um, assess Peoria, and they would add this this total annual uh, income tax to Peoria. And so, let's just say it's a hundred billion dollars or whatever. And so, that was a total tax amount that was owed at the end of the year. Now, what the government would then do is they would sell. Uh, the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder of that region of of that city or of that area. Uh, so, for example, if you know somebody would bid uh, to to have the rights to collect taxes in Peoria, they would give the rights to the highest bidder. So, at the end of the year, the highest bidder, whoever owned the right to collect taxes to that region or to that area, would they would then pay that total tax amount at the end of the year, but could also keep any amount that he or she collected over uh, the total tax amount. So, what this did then, it created some very obvious, uh, it created obvious potential for uh, extortion. So the tax collectors would pay that uh, year-end tax amount and they would uh, keep what they collected over that tax amount. Now, there were two types of taxes during this time. Uh, Number one, they were stated taxes. And there was not much room for extortion with stated taxes. Let me give you some examples. There was a poll tax where men who were uh, the age of 14 to 65 and women who were the ages of 12 to 65 had to pay taxes for simply being alive. Like if you're uh, a man 14 to 65 or woman, Woman 12 to 65, you had to pay taxes for simply breathing air. It's called a poll tax. There was the ground tax, um, one-tenth of all grain and one-fifth of all wine and oil. And sometimes, like I mentioned, they would tax fish. Uh, there was the income tax, um, 1% of one's annual income. And so there was not a lot of room here. They're kind of like fixed taxes. And there was not a lot of room for extortion here. But the second type of taxes were were called duty taxes. And these duty taxes were, they had a lot of room, much room for abuse and extortion. Now, uh, people, let me give you some examples. Uh, They were, people were taxed to use certain roads or maybe they had to dock their boat in a certain harbor and they were taxed on those things or there was sales tax on certain items and goods that were imported and exported. They were actually cart taxes where each wheel of a person's cart was taxed. So essentially, uh, people could be taxed 
on anything when it when it when it came to duty taxes and so this gave tax collectors a lot of power over people uh, really a, a tax collector could stop a person in the on the road make them unpack all of their stuff and tax them for whatever they wanted now now it, get, it gets worse if a person or a family didn't have the money to pay those taxes then the tax collector would loan them the money at a very high interest rate and so really this only helped and drew the person to drew the person into these greedy greedy tax collectors these tax collectors they they attracted thugs and enforcers to collect money uh, tax collectors were essentially the mafia of the first century and so because of this because of this abuse and extortion on behalf of tax collectors um, they were the easily 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 the most hated men of their time they were grouped alongside thieves and murderers they were expelled and banned from the synagogues and if a tax collector would come to your house then your house would be ceremonially or religiously unclean now get this this is kind of interesting uh, Jews, okay, Jews practicing Jews would uh, would be able to lie to tax collectors without any consequences. I mean, you know, that's the only sin that was okay. It really wasn't considered a sin. If you lie to tax collector, that ain't lying. You're good, okay? There's no consequences for you there. They were they were hated by Jewish people and they were considered traitors, especially Levi, because he was Jewish. And essentially, he he sold his soul to Rome for money, and he would tax his own people incredible amounts to make himself rich. Levi, man, he was the lowest of the low. He was hated, and he was a despicable man. And any association with the tax collector could ruin a person's reputation. I mean, no one, nobody in their right mind would want to be associated with a tax collector. Nobody. Nobody would want to be friends with a tax collector unless you're Jesus, unless you're the Messiah, unless you're the Son of God. And so Jesus, as he's passing by, he sees Levi. And what does he do? He says, follow me. Follow me again, again, and again. Jesus commits another scandalous act. I mean, this rivals uh, the previous, uh, the previous uh, story that we saw where Jesus touches a leper. I mean, Jesus is scandalous. He is inviting a tax collector to follow after him. Jesus chooses the most unlikely, the most undesirable, and the most unhealthy person to join his team. That's what he does. I mean, do you remember when you were a kid and uh, you had you were playing a sport or you were playing a game, and then you you know you had two team captains, and you would have to kind of line up in in the straight line, and and the you know the first captain would pick the 
best player or the best person or the fastest person, you know, in the second, uh, the, the second team captain would pick the next best. And, and really, you didn't want to pick the worst player uh, on your team. And you always chose him for last. For last. And, and so Jesus, if we were talking about a spiritual, you know, uh, picking, uh, Jesus would always choose the worst and the last. Jesus would choose and pick first those who would have gotten picked last. That's what he does. He picks the worst, the worst player, the most wicked and uh, uh, morally just corrupt person, someone who wouldn't even get picked, not even just get, would get picked last. He wouldn't have gotten picked. He picks him to join his team. And so Jesus says, follow me. This was a call to discipleship. You see, Jesus saw Levi as a man, not as a category. Jesus saw Levi as a man, not as a tax collector. Jesus saw a sinner in need of salvation, not a low life deserving condemnation. Jesus saw not the wicked life of a tax collector and extortionist, but the changed life of a disciple. I mean, that's, that's the scandal of grace. It's only by the grace of God that he did that, that Jesus did. That's the scandal of grace. Jesus sees in you and I what no one else can see and turns us into what we were intended to be. That's the scandal of grace. Uh, at one point, we were it at our worst and beyond being picked. But Jesus, as scandalous as he is, picks us on his team, picks the worst of sinners to be on his team and to follow him. And so what does Levi do? Mark tells us that he followed him. He answered the call. In Luke, we have the same story, but Luke gives us a little bit different details. He says this, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He left everything to follow after Jesus. He gave up his lucrative business. He gave up all of his stuff to go and follow Jesus. You see, Jesus, before this, he, he, he recruited four fishermen. And they left everything too. But think about this. If you were a fisherman, you could easily go back and fish. You know, you, you could easily go back and fish, but not a tax collector. I mean, that position, that job, that franchise was so greatly sought after that basically if he would, if, if Levi would give it up, there's no way for him to get it back. I mean, there was no turning back for Levi. No turning back. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. Now I ask myself this. Why did Levi give up everything to follow Jesus? Why, why was it so sudden? Why did it seem it was so immediate that he left everything to follow Jesus? I believe that at this point, Levi was converted. That Levi was saved. I mean, Levi worked and lived in Capernaum. Jesus' base of operations. And so I am positive 
that Levi uh, maybe even heard or saw Jesus heal people with certain diseases. Uh, Maybe Levi heard or saw Jesus teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. And so he must have heard this message. And, And so maybe God was working in his heart and in his soul at this point. He must have been converted at this point. You see, the only people that give up everything to follow Christ are the people who are truly converted. Those who are those, those who have the, that have truly repented and placed their faith in Christ are the ones who would give up everything to follow after Christ. Those that have been truly saved. And so I really believe that prior to this point, God was drawing Levi to Jesus. Because that's how it works. That's how conversion works. We don't choose God. God chooses us. Uh, John chapter 6 verse 44 says this, no one, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to Christ. No one. We're spiritually dead unless the father draws that person to Jesus. This is God's scandalous, sovereign grace in the life of a person. And so I believe that at that point, Levi was converted. Why? Because God the Father drew him to Jesus. I believe Levi repented and placed his faith in Christ. So when Jesus called to follow him, he was ready to go. He was ready to follow after Christ. It was a call to discipleship. Verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So now we see Jesus with Levi and a bunch of tax collectors reclining at Levi's house. This word for recline, this Greek word for recline, it indicates a formal banquet, a dinner party where guests would recline on cushions around a low, low table. Again, Luke gives us a little more details on this party. Luke 5, chapter 5, verse 29 says, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. I mean, this was not a, 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 a no, this was no ordinary party. It was a banquet. It was a bash. And so Levi throws this bash in honor of Jesus. This party was to celebrate his new life and his new calling. This party was to introduce uh, Jesus to his friends. I mean, think about that. I mean, just notice that in this passage. Uh, Levi immediately began evangelizing. He began evangelizing like this. He, he was converted. He, fought, he, he, started, he decided to follow after Jesus. He throws this big old party at his house and he invites all of his sinners, all of his tax collector friends to meet Jesus. He didn't say, hey, I need some training on how to evangelize people. I need to take this class to learn how to share the gospel. No, man, he had this zeal and this passion and, and he wanted his friends to know Jesus too. And so he threw this big old party. He said, hey, come and meet the guy that changed my life. Come and meet the guy that changed everything for me. 
And so he throws this big old party for Jesus, for his new calling, his new life, and so that his friends can meet the Savior of the world. And he did this at his house. And man, Levi was loaded. I mean, he's a tax collector. He was rich. Uh, he, he was rolling in the dough. And so his house must have, has to have been big. Why? Because Mark tells us that there were many tax collectors and sinners. There was a lot of people at this house. These tax collectors and sinners were people who were outcast, people who didn't live by the rigid rules of the Pharisees. They were alienated and rejected. They were the wicked and uh, wicked people with questionable moral behavior. They were shady people, the shady people that, that, that you don't want to be around. But yet Jesus ate with them. And man, I'm sure they were stunned that this rabbi, this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi would eat with them. And so Jesus is with Levi, newly converted, evangelizing to his friends. Jesus is with these sinners, these tax collectors just hanging out. And Mark tells us this. This is shocking to me. Mark tells us that Jesus' disciples were also there. Now, now think about this for just a second. Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were all fishermen prior to this, okay? These were fishermen. And so they're hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus calls Levi a tax collector. And now Jesus and these four dudes are at Levi's, the tax collector's house. Most likely, Levi taxed and overtaxed these four fishermen. So think about what that must have been like. These, these four fishermen saw Jesus call Levi on the team. I don't know what they did or I don't know how they would react, but I'll tell you how I would react if I could just be honest. Jesus, you're really going to call Levi on our team? I mean, the dude's, the dude's a tax collector. I mean, James, John, he ripped us off. He, he, he overtaxed us and now you want us to, you want to bring him on the team? But there they were with Jesus in Levi's house, having a good time. This is what happens next with the conflict. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The scribes of the Pharisees, these were the experts in the law, the Bible students, the theologians of the day. I mean, they knew the word of God well. And they belonged to the, the group of the Pharisees or the sect of the Pharisees. These Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the right-wingers. They were the conservative group. Uh, the word Pharisee actually means separatist. Uh, they wanted to separate themselves from what was unholy. They wanted to separate themselves from what was wicked. They wanted to separate themselves from sinners. They were also very self-righteous and prideful, and they had this holier-than-thou attitude, and they focused on all the external religious things uh, of the law, but neglected the things of the heart. That's who the Pharisees were. And Mark tells us that these Pharisees saw 
that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And most likely they were um, looking through a window or they were looking through through some kind of um, opening outside of the house or outside of the courtyard. Why? Because Pharisees, if they went to a tax collector's house, they would become unclean. And so what they decide to do, they're on the outside. They decide to ask Jesus's disciples, hey, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Notice their, their pridefulness. They didn't go to Jesus directly. Notice how cowardly they are. They didn't talk to Jesus himself. They talked to his disciples. That was typical of the Pharisees. But they said, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And so really, this is not a question. It's more of a statement. Isn't that the guy who claimed that he was the son of God? Isn't that the so-called Messiah? And he's eating with sinners and tax collectors? Becoming unclean? That's a joke. And that's what the Pharisees were saying. Now notice this, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mark tells us that Jesus heard what the Pharisees said to his disciples. Now, how in the world did Jesus hear that? I mean, think about it. He's at Matthew at, at Levi's house. At Levi's house, there's a party. There's a lot of people. Who knows if there's music? And somehow, some way, he heard the Pharisees. Man, when I'm watching football at home and I'm glued into the TV and into the game, and Christina's talking to me, I can't hear her at all. Could you imagine Jesus trying to hear the Pharisees at a bash? Man, that tells us that Jesus hears everything, that Jesus knows everything. And so Jesus says, hey, do you really want me to tell you why I hang out with sinners? Do you want me to tell you why I hang out with the worst of the worst? Let me, let me tell you why, he says. He says, it's not the, the ones who are well that need a physician. It's those who are sick that need a physician. And I, I didn't come to, to call the righteous the self-righteous. I came to call the people who know they're sinners. That's what Jesus says to them. In essence, this is what he says to them. He says, to those who, who consider themselves righteous, and I already have it all figured out. I'm a self-righteous person. I have nothing to say to you. I can't help you. You're already righteous. You know, good luck. But if you know you're a sinner, I came to call you. I came to forgive you. I came to help you. You see, you and I, must see ourselves as lost before we could be found. We must know that we are spiritually sick before we could be spiritually healed. And we must know that we are spiritually dead before we could be made spiritually alive. Jesus, friend of sinners, the question is, are you? Are you a friend of sinners? Do you have those people in your life that are rough around the edges, that don't know Christ, from that, that our culture would consider the worst of the worst? Are you a friend of sinners? Do you have people that don't know God in your life? I want to give you two, two brief, brief things 
one from the life of Jesus and one from the life of Levi. That's kind of next steps for you to take. Number one, this is from the life of Jesus. Be a friend to sinners. Be a friend to sinners. If, if you don't have any friends right now that are, uh, that are not Christian, that are not saved, find some. Uh, find some friends. Again, we cannot reach people who are far from God. That's what God has called us to do. And we can't reach people who are far from God if we are not near to people who are far from God. So find some friends that don't know Jesus yet. That's what Jesus himself did. And I just want to remind you that you have such a great opportunity every single day to reach people. I promise you that you come into contact with more people that don't know Christ than I do. Trust me. If there's one thing I'm jealous about is that you get to see so many people that don't know him every single day in your work. You are not there by accident. God has placed you there. God has sovereignly placed you in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood to reach people that don't know him yet. Be a friend to sinners as Jesus was. Second thing from Levi, introduce sinners to Jesus. Introduce sinners to Jesus. I mean, look look what Levi did. Immediately, right? He like, he threw a bash for Jesus and he said, hey, uh, hey, hey, I want you to meet the guy that changed everything for me. I want you to get to know Jesus. He immediately did it. And he started with the people that were close, closest to him. So as you invite people to Jesus, if you, as you invite sinners to Jesus, do it immediately. Do it with the people who are closest to you. And notice what he did. He did not take them to church. He took them into his house. And it's, it's not always taking them to church first, but showing people hospitality, opening the doors of your house, opening the fridge and doing life with them. And he did it passionately. How do we know that? Because he threw a party. There was this passion. There was this zeal. There was this urgency for Levi to lead his friends to Christ. And so I just pray and I encourage you through the power of the spirit that you would do with great passion, with great joy, with great purpose, because God has called you on a mission to be a friend of sinners, to reach sinners. Because you never know, church. You never know what will happen with the person you will reach. Maybe you're gonna reach this future pastor a future evangelist, a future missionary, and you don't even know. You might reach this this stay-at-home mom who's going to reach her entire family and her entire neighborhood for God. You you might reach this business owner who's then going to reach um, his employees, all of his company, all of his employees for Christ. We never know what's going to happen when we reach someone for Christ. I want to end with this. Do you know who Levi became? Do you know who Levi became? He became one of Jesus' 12 apostles. One of the 12. I mean, that's a big deal. Levi became one of Jesus' 12 apostles. 
when you open your Bible, you have an Old Testament and you have a New Testament. And when you go to the New Testament, you know the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the, the, the books that, that, uh, that, that talk about Jesus' life called the Gospels. Well, Matthew wrote, or Levi wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Levi wrote the Gospel of Matthew because Levi is Matthew. At some point, he changed his name or, 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 or Jesus changed his name. Think about it. He made a huge difference. I mean, the, the, Matthew means gift of God. That's what his name means. Matthew, named, Matthew means gift of God. He was and is still a gift of God through his gospel to a sinful and hurting world. I mean, he went from this wicked, despicable extortionist to being a gift of God to people. You and I will never know what's going to happen after we reach somebody. Be a friend of sinners. Invite sinners to Jesus. If we want to reach people for who are far from God, we need to be near people who are far from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for the example of Christ, that he loved sinners, that he loved to be around the people that nobody wanted to be around. And God, that is what, that is what you are calling us to do, to do the things that nobody is willing to do, to reach people who are far from you, to reach the worst, to reach the alienated, to reach the outcast to love them and to share the gospel, to open our homes and our lives to them, to do whatever it takes to reach those who are far from you. God, bring, if we don't have people, if there's someone listening in, if, there, if there's no people in our lives that are far from you, God, I pray you would sovereignly just fill our lives with people who don't know you, God. Give us the power the passion, the compassion to love and reach people who are far from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, Thank you so much for listening.